0: Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Well, amen. Wouldn't be Christmas without that song, would it? That's a good song, good song. Take your copy of God's Word, begin to find 1 Timothy chapter 1. You know, Christmas is a season of celebration, amen? And uh, as we celebrate, let me just uh, tell you that we appreciate everyone who came to uh, help on Wednesday, We uh, to come to the table event. We had so many people here, and we appreciate everybody that came and helped us to fix plates and uh, at the end of the day, we uh, were able to distribute 450 plates uh, across the communities. And so isn't that incredible? Let's just give the Lord a hand for that. That's, that's something God does. Amen. Uh, let me just tell you, we, uh, Tim and I had to make a Walmart run. And while we were there, they said, hey, grab some rolls. We need about 110 more rolls. And we grabbed those rolls. we were heading back. And when we got back, somebody laughed and said, oh, a bunch of them were just dropped off. We have more than enough. Well, brother, we didn't know, did we, Chris, that we needed those extra 110 rolls, didn't we? So God uh, God really uh, fooled us. So it was uh, an incredible time together, and we appreciate uh, the men's ministry, having a heart for that and leading that ministry. And uh, there's a lot of folks who were touched by that. Uh, just let me just tell you one particular story. Uh, Marina uh, a few weeks ago was in Walmart and there was a young lady who was um, sitting uh, there at Walmart on the outside and she was waiting on a ride to come and it was apparent her ride wasn't coming and so Marina sort of struck up a conversation with her and uh, began to talk to her and found out that she uh, was a mom of five children and uh, her husband was watching the kids and she needed to get back to the house and when her ride wasn't coming, she didn't have a coat. It was one of those cold days a few weeks ago. And, and so uh, Marina put her in our vehicle and, and took her home. And she's not here today, but I'm just bragging on my wife a little bit. You know, God just used her. But well, let me just tell you, one of the things that came out of the result of that is uh, we were able this week to uh, take some food to her house. Uh, here's a family of, uh, you know, five kids and two adults. Uh, that, 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 and listen, they had to move out of their house into a new place because the, the house they were renting was plagued with black mold. And, uh, they lost everything. They have nothing. And, uh, he, uh, he works, uh, in town and, uh, she's a college student and trying to earn her degree. So here's a family that we were able to bless as a result of just stepping out and making a, a step of faith and giving somebody a ride home from, from Walmart. And so, you know, ministries all around us folks, uh, and and you know I, you've heard me say it every year, but let me just say it again because it's worth repeating that we ought to leverage the Christmas season for the gospel. This is a great and wonderful opportunity, a great and wonderful time of year by which we can invite folks to come and be a part of worship, because everybody wants to be a part of something like this at Christmas season. But it's also a great opportunity to tell them about the real meaning of Christmas. Amen. And so I hope that you'll take the opportunity to invite somebody to leverage the holidays, not just for the celebration, but for the proclamation of the gospel, for telling the world that Jesus saves. And that's sort of the center of our message today. As we think about what Christmas is all about, Christmas is... You know, all about what we've been seeing these past weekend is, is all about the hustle and bustle. It's all about the Black Friday sale or the Saturday sale. And, you know, Marie and I were in Walmart last night and as you go through Walmart, everything they didn't sell on Black Friday is still on sale, you know, cluttering the aisles or trying to get rid of their extra merchandise that they bought. And, and so, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it, it just seems like the hustle and bustle. You know, you just get tired of thinking about it. You know, when I like to think about Christmas, I like to think of it this way. I like to think about the, the lights and the family coming over and gathering. And, you know, I like to think about, you know, the nostalgic, you know, worship services and, and being together. But, you know, Christmas, is, is, it's all about whatever your belief system is. And that's just the bottom line, right? It's what do you really believe about Christmas? And, you know, what I've found over the years of being a pastor is that even in my congregations, I've had people who had different ideas and beliefs about what Christmas was all about. And so what I want to do there is just sort of start off the Christmas season by telling you what Christmas is about, okay? You know, we we sort of get surprised and we get a little angry and frustrated with retailers who don't want to say Merry Christmas and they take that out of their ads or whatever or the employees don't say it at businesses. We get a little frustrated with that. But after all, listen, for most people, Christmas is just about a cultural holiday. It's, it's about trees and eating with your family and buying presents. That's what most people see Christmas as. And the reality is that's because of their belief system. But, hey, it's all around us, amen? It's all around us. But what I found is even people in my church, as, as I pastored people, you know, we sort of forget, we, we sort of say, yeah, it's about Jesus. But then when I look at us and sometimes I look at my own life, I go, you know what? It's, it's supposed to be about Jesus, but is it really about Jesus? Or am I just sanitizing my, my Christmas holiday with his name? You get what I mean, right? Like, like, am I just saying, yeah, it's about Jesus. And so I, but then I spiritualize the busyness. Right? I I spiritualize everything else. Does that that make sense? Are you with me this morning? Like, like we struggle, even as followers of Christ, we struggle getting caught up in what the world thinks Christmas is all about because, you know, we want to have all the nice decorations in our house and we want to have our families for dinner and we want to do the exchange of presents. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. Please don't misunderstand the sermon this morning. But in, in doing all of that, what we've forgotten is what really should be at the center even as followers of Christ and so as we think about you know what is the what is the true meaning what is what is christmas about Anyway, I sort of want to talk about that this morning. I was watching the Santa Claus movie the other day. You ever, that's one of my favorites during the holiday of the Santa Claus movie. And in that movie, Scott Calvin, you know, Santa Claus falls off the roof. And, and if you haven't seen it, I'm about to spoil it for you. But Scott, you know, he, he falls off the roof and Scott Calvin, you know, puts on the clothes and he becomes the new Santa Claus. And, and he finds himself at the North Pole, and he's sort of trying to grapple with everything, right? He's trying to help understand everything, and, and he's talking with this guy who's an elf, and, and uh, he, he says to the elf, he says this, he says, What if I don't buy into any of this Santa Claus thing? What if I choose not to believe it? And, and here's what the head elf, Bernard, says. He says, Then there would be millions of disappointed children around the world. You see, children hold the spirit of Christmas within their hearts. You don't want to be responsible for killing the spirit of Christmas, now would you, Santa? But let me tell you something. For many in the world, and even for us who are in the church, sometimes we miss the point of Christmas, and that without Jesus, it would kill the spirit of Christmas. Amen? We forget that. And so what I want to do is I just want to sort of remind us this morning that Even though the retailers want to keep Jesus out, and even though some of the world wants to keep Jesus out, it's okay. Because you know what? Jesus has been kicked out in the cold ever since he was born. Amen? Amen. I mean, don't forget that. And so this morning as we think about that, I want us to look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I have verse 15 on the the main point. That's where we're going to camp. But I want to read the full text to you beginning in verse 12. And listen to what Paul has to say to us. Paul writes in verse 12, I want to thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. Paul talks about being called by God to be in ministry, to be an apostle born out of due time who is making an impact on the church. He says although in verse 13 I was formerly a blasphemer. He says I was a persecutor and an insolent man. Paul talks about what he used to be. God He says, I'm a a preacher of the gospel. And I thank God he's made me a preacher of the gospel. But let me remind you what I used to be. I I used to be this guy who was a blasphemer. I blasphemed God. And he said, I was a persecutor. He remembered, persecuted the church. He was on his way to kill the church when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Isn't that an incredible story, by the way? I was an insolent man. He said, but in verse 13, I obtained mercy Because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. Paul said I was shackled to unbelief. I was shackled to sin because my eyes were darkened. I was blind spiritually and I was in a depraved state. And because of that, this is how I acted. Verse 14, and the grace of our Lord Jesus, he says, was exceedingly abundant. He says, with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. He said, something changed. The grace and faith of the Lord Jesus changed his life dramatically, didn't it? I mean, now Paul's a preacher of the gospel. And then verse 15, and this is a faithful saying. He says, and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. I want you to think about that statement because Paul says, It is a trustworthy and reliable statement and worthy to pay attention to that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, I am the chief of them. So what is Christmas all about? Well, I'm gonna give you three points and then we'll be done. So here's the first point I want you to write down today. That the centerpiece of Christmas is Jesus. That's the centerpiece. Don't you love all this decoration? This is pretty, isn't it? Now, we appreciate Nancy and her team came in here and did that. I know, you don't want to be pointed out. But Nancy and her team came in here and did that. We appreciate those who, who serve the Lord, amen? And, and we need to recognize folks who serve the Lord. But it's beautiful. It's pretty in here. I, I see these angels and it reminds me of, you know, the, the Old Testament, the seraphim standing, uh, you know, at the, the throne of God and they're antiphonally singing back and forth. Glory, 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 or holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You know, and God, even when they built the Ark of the Covenant, God had them put those on the Ark to remind them of what the holy seat in heaven looks like, amen? And so it reminds me that. You know, I love these decorations. I I love centerpieces on tables. Sometimes I'm pretty amazed at some of the stuff that people can put on a table and how beautiful it really is. But let me just tell you, the centerpiece, the focal point of Christmas for us as believers should be Jesus. I want you to just listen to the, the Luke's narrative. In Luke chapter two, it would never be Christmas without reading at least some of Luke two, right? Listen to Luke two, beginning in verse eight through verse 14. He says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Now listen what happens. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Amen. Listen, not just to the Jews, but for all people. Amen. Praise God. Jesus for everybody. Amen. And so he came for everybody. But he says, Good news for all people. What? For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. See, there it is. The centerpiece of the proclamation of the birth of Christ is Jesus. There is born for you a city in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was a host of angels, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Listen, the centerpiece on the first day was Jesus. A proclamation that the Savior has been born. What a what a great tide of change came that day. What a, what a great change came to a world that was walking in darkness, the Bible says, and now has the light of the gospel shown through the face of Jesus Christ. How glorious it is when we think about Christmas that we celebrate Jesus who came to be the Messiah, to be the centerpiece of our world. But here's here, listen, here's the key though. You cannot leave Jesus in a manger. If you're going to celebrate Jesus rightly, if he's going to be the centerpiece, not only do you need to have the manger, but you need to have a cross. Amen? Because listen, even though everything points to him on the day of his birth and the angels sing about him, the star shines about him. But listen, it's all about the fact that he came to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so we cannot leave Jesus in a manger. We must also... Look to an empty cross. But listen, we must also add an empty tomb. Amen? Amen. Praise God, we have an empty tomb. Because it all represents, listen, Christmas represents that Jesus, would Paul say, came into the world to save sinners. And that leads into the second point. When you think about Christ being the centerpiece, why? Well, because it's all about the central point, right? The central point of what? What's the cause of it? Why did Jesus have to come? It's salvation. It's all salvation. I came across this story about, about a guy who was um, hiking. Uh, I don't hike myself, you can tell, right? I'm not a hiker. But this guy was hiking. And this, It says in May of 2002, Leonardo Diaz, a Colombian hiker, decided to do some serious mountain climbing with his friends. Their goal was to reach the summit of the Nevado del Ruiz, a volcano in the Andes. On the second day of the climb, a major blizzard hit. Diaz lost sight of his friends and became separated from them. Although not initially worried, the novice climber soon began to run out of rations and began to suffer from the bitter cold. Although he had his cell phone in his backpack, his prepaid minutes had already expired. I would be thinking it would be useless anyway on the mountain. But his prepaid minutes had already expired. With no way to signal for help, Diaz realized he was not going to make it. As he lay in the frigid snow preparing to die, his cell phone rang. It was a phone solicitor in Bogota wanting to know if Diaz was interested in purchasing more minutes. We called him to, find, uh, to remind him that his cell phone was out of minutes, said Maria del Pedro Bustos of Bell South. That shows you how old the story is, right? He said it was the work of an angel. Because he was lost in the Andes, Diaz described his location to the caller and asked that his family be notified so they could dispatch a rescue team. The Bell South operators would call him, uh, or excuse me, could tell from the sound of his voice that he was going into hypothermia. Therefore, they called him every 30 minutes to keep him awake until he was able to be rescued. Seven hours later, or later, he was rescued. And what ordinary might have been perceived as a nuisance call saved his life. Think about that. The next time your phone rings, you don't know who it is. <laughs> Can I tell you, Jesus came to save sinners. Amen. See, because the reality, here's the reality. Paul reminds us of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Listen to what Paul says. Be on the screen for you. For I deliver to you, first of all, What was received? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Jesus came to save sinners. Why? Because there is the universal problem of sin. Every single human being ever born, except Jesus, is born in sin. That is, that you and I, we have. Sin attached to us, shackled to us, and there is no hope of that sin being broken, the bond being torn, unless somebody righteous takes it away. And so we have this universal problem of sin. You and I, we know, because we do bad things, right? We find ourselves doing bad things. We see the bad stuff in the world today. We say, my word, how can people do that? Well, let me tell you something. They're depraved. That's how they do it. Amen? You and I were depraved. We were in a depraved state. That is, there's no telling what we could have been capable of doing. Paul says he was an insolent man. Paul says he was a persecutor. Paul said he was a blasphemer. If you would have met Paul in his heyday when he's preaching the gospel, you would have never thought that about Paul. you said, like, man, Paul is a pretty cool cat. He's a good guy. Man, he preaches the gospel like nobody else preaches the gospel. He's on fire for Jesus. We would never, ever think he had a past, but he had a past. Can I ask you a question? Do you have a past? You say, oh, no, I grew up in a Christian home. and It let me, let me, doesn't matter. You still got a past. <laughs> Amen. You're still in sin. You're still lost. Listen, some of the hardest people to convert are those people who grew up in Christian homes. Let me tell you. Some of y'all grew up in a Christian home, you just think, well, mom and dad were Christians, I'm a Christian too. That's not how it works. Amen? I was sharing last week in my office, I was sharing with a family, and I said, listen, don't force your kids into salvation because, listen, you force them into it, the devil's going to keep them there, and they're going to be convinced of a false dichotomy. Amen? But let me just tell you something. If there is no conviction, there's no salvation. Amen? So the thing you need to ask in your life is, okay, when I got saved, was there a conviction? Was there godly sorrow that led to repentance? Because there should be. That doesn't mean you're necessarily boo-hooing and crying. I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. But my question is, is there a period of time in your life where you look back and you say, when God rescued me, when God rescued me out of the pit of hell, when he saved me from my sin, was I convicted? Because that's important. Amen? That's, that's a key element of the gospel. And so, Paul says to us that we all have this sin problem. But here's the second thing about what we need to understand. Not only about the universal promise, of sin, but there's the undeniable penalty of sin. That is, there's a penalty for sin. We forget there's a penalty for sin. What's the penalty of sin? Well, if you are without Jesus Christ, the penalty for sin is hell. Separation from God for all of eternity. And listen, we see the immediate penalty of sin, don't we? People die. It's a shame that this, this past week, I've heard about three or four deaths in people's families. It's just, I just hate it around the holidays for families, don't you? I mean, it's just, your heart goes out to them. You, you're praying for them. You want to encourage them. But it, sometimes it just feels like words fall short, don't they, when you try to encourage somebody who's lost someone, especially in the holiday season. But let me just tell you something. We see that immediate effect of sin. That's because of sin that people die. All right? That's the effect of the fall. But the the eternal effect of the fall is that those without the Lord Jesus Christ will spend an eternity in hell without him. Amen? And and listen, if you want to know what that's like, just read the Gospels. Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. It's funny, people say today, well, we shouldn't be preaching about hell. Let me tell you something, Jesus did. Amen? He talked about it. I was reading my devotion this week. Three times in one one sentence or in one paragraph. Three times, Jesus said, where the worm does not stop, the fire does not get quenched. Three times in one place, Ed, he said that in one paragraph. I'm like, dang, Jesus, you're like dropping the bomb on us. I mean, he really was thinking about that. I mean, like, man, Jesus is really trying to get a point across, isn't he? You don't want to go there, but you're not going to get to heaven on your merits. You're not going to get to heaven because you're good. You're not going to get to heaven because you're sitting in a pew today at church listening to a sermon. You're not going to go to heaven because you gave money in the offering today. You're not going to you know, go to heaven because you helped somebody like Marina did go home when it's freezing cold out. You're not going to help or going to go to heaven because you helped on Wednesday taking plates out to people. Listen, you're only going to go to heaven based on the merits of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. Amen? And that leads me to my third point that I want to make, not... In the overall sermon, but in this mini part, and that is this the ultimate payment for sin. There's one payment for sin. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus was the substitutionary death for you. You should have died on the cross. You deserve hell. You deserve the wrath of God. But Jesus took the wrath of God upon his own shoulders for us on the cross of Calvary. Bearing our guilt, our shame there on that cross. In our place. Hallelujah. Thank God he did that for us. But then secondly, listen, he satisfied the wrath of God. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The wrath of God. Jesus took the wrath of God for us on the cross of Calvary. You know, people say, you know, he was murdered there. Let me tell you something. Jesus gave his life up there. He willingly died. And it was Jesus who said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He didn't die on the cross. They didn't kill him there. He gave up his spirit for us. After taking all the wrath of God, don't forget the sky turned black. Don't forget that Jesus cried out in agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Don't ever forget that. Jesus took the full penalty and the weight of your sin in his own flesh on the cross of Calvary, dying on the cross, satisfying the wrath of God. And here it is, his blood is what washes away sin. Without the blood of Christ, there's no remission of sin. You're still in it. You're still in it. Paul's whole dissertation in 1 Corinthians 15 about the gospel hinges and hinges on the resurrection of Christ. And he tells us that the blood of Jesus washes us and he died for us. But then that last part, right? He rose from the dead. On the third day, Jesus came out of the grave alive, just like you and I are alive today. They can see him. They can touch him. He was physical. He ate. But yet, he had a glorified body. They saw him. And the blood of Jesus cleanses. The resurrection of Jesus. Listen, if you don't have the resurrection, you don't have salvation. And that's Paul's whole dissertation, right? If we don't have a resurrected Christ, then we're men most pitiful, he says. People ought to pity us. But there's no need to be pitied because we have a risen Savior. He lives. And that's what Christmas is all about. It's all about Jesus coming to be the Savior of the world, folks. As we celebrate Christmas, let's do this third point. Here it is. You ready for it? The challenge of Christmas. What's the challenge of Christmas? It's our focus. It's hard to stay. Can I get an amen? It's hard to stay focused, isn't it? If I pulled out my iPhone right now, I could probably say, you know, I got this going on, I got that going on, I got this going on, that going on. You know, it's just full of activity, full of different things happening. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, this month's going to be over before we know it, right? Christmas parties to attend, you know, Christmas presents to buy, stores to attend. we got a lot of stuff that's going on. And the hard thing for us is to remember that we need to stay focused. And listen to what Paul said. Paul reminds us, right? He says, here's how we stay focused. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. There's the focus. Paul says, listen, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. listen. He says, this is a worthy and honorable statement. This is something that is the centerpiece. This is something that we ought to realize ought to be a focus of our life. So we ought to focus in on the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds to me, believer, that you and I need to be intentional this holiday season about making Jesus the center. Because if I'm not, it's not gonna happen. That's just a reality. Amen? I'll just whitewash my holiday. I'll just sanitize it with a little spiritual here and there, a little mumbo jumbo, and we'll just move on. It's almost like saying grace at lunch. Well, I mean, you have got to thank God for the food. That's what we do around here. Can I get any? You understand what I'm saying, right? You get it? I came across these words by a, a pastor. I wish I was this smart, but this, listen to what this guy said. He said, separate Christmas Day from Good Friday, and Christmas is doomed. He said, doomed to decay into merely a sentimental, superstitious, or sensuous, eat, drink, and be merry festivity of December. Bethlehem and Golgotha, the manger and the cross, the birth and the death must always be seen together. If, the real Christmas, if real Christmas is to survive with all of its profound inspirations, for the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Christmas is that important, amen? And what I would say to you is this. I wanna close with this statement. When we make Jesus the centerpiece, when we defeat the challenge of being misfocused, And when we we think about, you know, this Christmas season being all about him, let's remember that he needs to be central in our celebration, but he also needs to be central in our proclamation. Not only do we need to celebrate Jesus this holiday season, but we need to proclaim his name. Listen, there's a lost world out there. There's a mission field right outside the doors Right outside those glass doors in front, there's a mission field. People across the street, people down the street, people within a four or five mile radius of our church, people all around need the gospel. And shame on us if we proclaim Jesus as the center and we have all of our signs on our cars that says the reason of the season is Jesus, but we never share him with another soul. Shame on us. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.